0: Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis.
1: And I'm Jason Moletsky.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Legit, for joining us today.
1: Yeah, our mission is living and learning, laughing and loving together with you.
0: We're here to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust, trusting the entire journey.
1: Yeah, and on that journey, we often talk about plant medicines, psychedelics, and other avenues of healing. When we do, we are sharing for informational purposes only. We're not doctors or therapists, and we don't promote doing anything illegal.
0: Inside us all, we have a deep, powerful knowing. We encourage curiosity, healing, and exploration of this consciousness.
1: Damn straight. Together, our handle is today. Individually, you can find her at MelanieCurtis.com and me at JasonMalewski.com.
0: Thank you all again so much for being with us. Onto the show. Right on, family. Okay, in today's episode, we are thrilled. And by we, I mean me, and I mean us. We are thrilled to welcome Mike Fenoya. Mike is a stand-up comedian based out of New York City. He is a senior producer of True TV's Impractical Jokers and Impractical Jokers Inside Jokes. He tours the country opening for the Jokers on their theater and arena tours. Mike also hosts two podcasts, Come a Time, co-hosted by Dead & Company's bassist, Oteil Burbridge, and Dented Cans, in which Mike interviews fellow comics about their respective, quote, dents. Recently, Mike has spoken publicly about his personal mental health journey and how psychedelic integration has, quote, saved his life. He continues to speak about his journey on stage, on air, and wherever else it helps. Mike released his debut stand-up special, Don't Let Me Down, in winter 2023 on YouTube, amassing 100,000 views and growing. It was 109,000 as of this morning. I've seen it. It's amazing. Definitely check it out. Mike, welcome.
2: From the show. Hi, how are you? <laughs> that was hard to listen it's to. It's so hard to listen <laughs> to. It's
0: like absolutely <laughs> torture to listen to one harp Totally. Well, really, man, we're so happy to have you here. And uh, we're definitely going to get into your mental health journey and all that stuff. Um, I want to share just with our listeners that I was listening to your interview on Psychedelics Today, and I was just so moved and compelled to reach out to you and just let you know that how much I loved that interview. I personally am a like absolute lover of comedy as well. And so I was very drawn to you personally. I'm like, I just gotta write this guy, tell him it it was awesome and just, you know, offer the show if he wants to come on and share some more with our with our peeps. So I want to start there with comedy. And be like, why comedy for you? You know, which I know is probably a huge question. But like, tell us more about that relative. Like, what does it give you? What does it bring you? Just take us there.
2: Why comedy for me? Um, Well, I had a lot of lives before it, you know, and it's the first job where I wanted more work. Uh, I wanted all the work. I think every other profession or whatever, you know, road I took or something, it was always kind of like, can I call out today? You know, and with stand up, it's just like, give me all the gigs, give me all the opportunities. And and I just want it. I think about it all the time. It makes me happy. I used to be extremely extroverted and uh, since doing stand up, I have found that that's the place where I like to be extroverted. Well, and then the rest of my life, I like to be a little more introverted now. And that was a complete like paradigm shift in my life where before I could never be alone. And now it's like, I cannot wait to be alone. So I love stand up. And I love the fact that uh, I've gotten to perform in so many of these beautiful rooms around the country and with some of my heroes and uh, just. The, the fact that, like, I don't want to say my, my, like, fate or destiny is in my hands, but it's my, I'm a one man, I'm a small business, you know? And the more I put in, the more I get out. And uh, everything I've built up to in life, I think, has, like, given me lessons on how to approach this weird world of comedy. Because, like, nobody gives you a book and says, here's how you become a comic. Yeah. You know, you kind of learn along the way and you learn what not to do maybe more than what you learn to do. And 99% of it is off. Well, 80% of it, I'd say is off stage.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right.
2: Like being a professional and learning how to navigate the road and, you know, sometimes learning to say no to gigs and learning that it's an amazing process. And I, and I've a very, a very smart woman, uh, told me that, comedy and comedians it's like the amount of years that you're in it is like your age so when you're like in it two years you're like a (laughs) two-year-old and when you're in it nine years you're like a nine-year-old and you know I'm in my teenage years now and I'm kind of like all right like I look back and I'm like yeah I was a kid then and I had my terrible twos and I was jealous and all that but now it's like all right I'm getting my license and I'm starting to drive and getting a little freedom out there and so it, it it's amazing and I'm I'm honored to be able to do it. Yeah. Really? I, I'm curious who were like, some
1: of who were some of your heroes in comedy?
2: Well, Dave Attell is my all-time favorite. Uh he's just a I don't know, he's a poet. He's like this weird, brilliant genius. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work, but uh just the fact that like I get to know him is cool. And then for him to like me enough to like bring me out on the road and perform him and I together um, and him for to like recommend me for things and talk about. He went on a podcast and told some people that, he, th- he th- you know, like my stuff. And it just it means the world to me. Like I, I watched Insomniac. That was his TV show on Comedy Central. I, I like my grandfather loved it and we would watch it. And he's like, this guy's so cool. Like he's just talking to normal people and whatever. And. That was just a bonding moment that I had with my grandfather. And now, like, which shows how cool my grandfather is, not how old the show is, (laughs) by the way. My grandfather's the coolest. So it it wasn't like a dig on how old Dave's show is. It's a nod to my pop. So, um, yeah, Dave is one I'd say right there. Um, I mean, obviously, I've gotten to, you know, I work at the clubs in the city and stuff. So I've gotten to know and meet and work with, like, you know, Chappelle and Chris Rock and uh, God, you name it. I mean, really, Sebastian Maniscalco, I, yes. I had the chance to work with a little bit. He brought me out to open for him a couple times. Um, the Impractical Jokers. I mean, my that was date night for my wife and I was to like order in and watch the Jokers, and then to be able to work on the show and share the stage with them. And at you know, they've brought me to do Radio City Music Hall and. All these beautiful arenas around the country. It's it's quite an Amazing. honor. You know? Amazing. Yeah. I you
0: know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about comedy is I think it's it's similar to skydiving in that it's very fringe and psychedelics for that matter. It's like this fringe thing where you actually have the opportunities to meet your heroes and work with them and then basically live the rest of your life being like, Wait, I work with Jason Maledsky. What? You know what I'm? I'm totally serious. Like my my business it. partner is Amy Shemalecki. What you know that? Yeah. So I feel that I really feel like I resonate with that in the in the lane of skydiving. But also, there's something about being in fringe communities that draw. Uh, anyway, I'm very interested in that too. But uh, Jay, I want to give you a chance to to weigh in as well.
1: Uh, yeah, there's something I wanted to to put on the table here for Mike to give me his thoughts on, and it's. Uh, came up recently for me, my last ayahuasca ceremony, something that really bubbled to the surface was in relationship to like George Carlin and Bill Hicks and these truth tellers, right? Like the comedian has this, it's the, the only person in society who is allowed to stand up with a microphone and tell the world the truth straight, straight on no lies. Just, this is the truth of the world we're living in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think that uh well I think music can too Not true. in a way. Yeah, but true. I, I, I do I but I do think that comedy it's a strange world that we're in right now where the the internet and podcasting and platforms and being able to clip uh, you know, little snippets of shows and post them and caption them and communicate with audiences and stuff like that, I think we're able to reach a lot of people. And, um, I think it's what we do with it that matters. Um, you know, there's folks that want to rattle cages. There's folks that want to, you know, stay goofy. There's poets, there's wordsmiths, there's crowd work folks, there's, you know, then just silly people. And it's all you know it's all there now, and it's all accessible where Carlin and Pryor and Lenny Bruce and you know doug stanhope and and those guys like they're they're you almost kind of had to seek it out more and when you sought it out, you realized like oh my God, there's a whole other world of intellect and a whole other world of um you know honesty and vulnerability and uh it's a it's a it's an honor to have that opportunity and responsibility you know um and 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 in the to just touch upon the psychedelic world the mental health thing um I hit a pretty rough slide and then coming out of it looking back uh starting to talk about it on stage and I'm going up sort of... To skydiving like um, I'm at the ledge there and I'm like I, I, I kind of ask someone to push yeah me because I have to figure out how to land and that's where the interesting part of stand-up is like different than music with stand-up you release your album or your special and you don't tour and do that material you start over so like you tour the material and then release the special and then you start over again. So it's this thing where a band will like release an album and tour the material. We have to tour the material and then release the album. So when you're seeing us out there, you're looking at like maybe the first trimester (laughs) or the second trimester. Like, you know, there may be a little bump, but it's not like here's my baby, you know? So we're figuring it out as we go. And what I've been thoroughly enjoying is just stating what I have or what I've gone through and talk about the experiences and the revelations and trying to make it funny. And after shows, at least one or two people coming up and going, like, I really appreciate you bringing this up. Um, men, too. Like, grown tough tough dudes, neck tattoos and you have you know like big dudes and uh just coming up and going like I hit a rough patch too and it's really awesome that you're talking about this and whatever and that to me is like I think I'm on to something here you know like I'm happy with what I've put out and I'm happy with my special and, th- and all that but you kind of have to put that aside and what's next you know yeah. I watched Chris Rock I get the opportunity in New York to work at the Comedy Cellar you know and like Watch these guys go in and Chris Rock will stand on stage and go, like, what to talk about? What to talk about? And I've heard him say, like, every year he looks at it like, Who am I this year? And that's such an it we should all be asking ourselves that question, you know, comic or not, accountant, taxi driver, I mean, you name it. Who who am I this year? Yeah. You know? So I've I've tried to kind of take that mantra on, and uh I like that I can be vulnerable and help people. It's almost what I used to be afraid of. Now I'm addicted yeah.
0: to. You know, it's interesting. The I commend you for that because I'm currently very interested in this notion of, of coming out of the psychedelic closet, as it were, right? That's a whole thing because for you, it's connected to your sort of position of influence and your career, your well-being, yeah. your uh, livelihood. So there's a lot of stakes connected to that, while also a lot of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong for sure, Mike, The compulsion to serve, to share, to to you know that what you're doing is making a difference. Even if you don't know, you're like, something in me is telling me this. I, I need to and want to be a voice in this way. Cool. Um, and I, I why I touch on that is that coming out of the psychedelic closet what have you learned because people I think who are listening maybe aren't professional comedians or maybe it's not connected to their work like Jay and myself and you but what would you say to people who are like man I want to start talking about this too
2: well um I'd say the first thing that uh I would say is that I try to always make sure that I make it clear that I'm only speaking for myself okay like I'm not a medical professional and that I'm not someone who's recommending anything to everyone. I think that if it's something that interests you uh, or if things that you've tried aren't working, here's another option that has absolutely saved my life. And I think that's important because I tend to uh, shy away from preachers I tend to shy away from anyone who kind of feel like I I don't want to be preachy. I don't anything that was preached at me. That's why, like, I love the Grateful Dead. But if you don't like the Grateful Dead, like, that's cool. Like, I'm not going to try to convert you like you go ahead and listen to your thing. But (laughs) if you're in my car, we're probably listening to the dead. (laughs) So I guess my point is, is that, like, I always try to make sure that, like, I'm speaking in first person. I'm talking about my experience, you know. And uh, in coming, and I love saying that coming out of the, and I think coming out of the mental health closet yeah, is,
1: I, that's a equally big one right there.
2: Important. Yeah. So I think that me saying, I mean, I've, I have extremely debilitating bouts of depression and panic and fear and anxiety. And I um, have for a very big chunk of my life. And some of it is due to trauma. Some of it is due to self-doubt and criticism and and uh a lot of it is magnified by my fear of like letting people down or letting myself down or not being good enough that imposter That's thing it. you know but um, I've always known ever since I was younger that there's something more than this, whatever this may have been in that time you know Uh and to answer your question and not dovetail way off what i've noticed is that as i talk about it two things are happening people are saying me too like so i'm reinforcing that i'm not alone but i'm also helping other folks realize that they're not alone right and i'm making myself find the humor in the fear and in the pain And I'm also um, really finding that, like, it's important to continue. It's almost kind of like giving me, like, the, what do you call it? Like, the um, reassurance that um, I could trust this process. I could trust this path with material. I could trust this path with, like, talking about it openly on podcasts and so on and so forth. What do I have to be ashamed of? What do I have to be afraid of? Like, it... I, I, you know, I have a herniated disc in my back currently. And the thing that I love is that if I say it, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a doctor. Everybody's got, do I do a surgery or an epidural? Do I do, you know, heat? Do I do ice? Like all this. So it's like, if I don't ask, if I don't put it out there, the universe won't kind of send me who I need to speak to. So I know we're all hurting. I know we're all struggling with something our critics take different form so if I could just say it I I I'm putting it out there I'm popping that balloon I'm I'm I've always had a theory that like anxiety and depression and stuff is double magnified because we have our anxiety and we have our depression and then we have anxiety about the anxiety and depression about the depression Correct. because we're going, do I seem depressed? Do I seem anxious? So the minute you walk into an, a, a situation, you go, hey, I'm anxious right now. It cuts it in half. Yeah. Because I don't have to pretend like I'm okay. You know what You're I afraid? mean? So I've realized right away, like, I say it on stage. Like,
1: Yeah, w- when you get up on stage, I-, I mean, my experience has been, I've had panic attacks with a microphone in my hand, and I feel like, As soon as I say, wow, I'm really freaking out right now, a lot of the tension drops. So is that one of your tactics in order to feel comfortable there? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I'm not even talking about on stage. I'm talking about uh, getting blood work done (laughs) or uh, sitting on a plane that's delayed or in a subway in Manhattan that's stuck between stops. Like, just day-to-day things. Um, I kind of go, like, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. And then other people go, oh, my God, me too. And it's like, I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm not lost here. Like, you feel it too. So it normalizes it for everybody, but also it lets me be anxious. You know? Like, if you're nervous about being nervous, you're extra nervous. Yeah, totally.
0: You know, I mean, Mike, it's funny, the... I'm I'm a life coach. That's the other thing that I do. And I've been doing that for about 16 years. The so why I bring that up is that I only in reflecting on that 16 years of all of those conversations does what you just said, like ha- did what you just said become very, very clear. Like I have heard so many people over the years reflect to me struggles that I have had. And so I'm like, I fucking know that I'm not alone. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I know. And it isn't also because I've been brave and like you started to be like, what can I say that's true and real back to the comedy thing, but also back to the bravery, the coming out of the mental health closet. It's like, yeah, that is such a big deal to like, know we're not alone. Know that we're not a big fat loser because we're freaking out, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so interesting to hear that because, you know, prior to, uh, I'd call it like whatever this most recent, uh, experience or Renaissance or whatever right. kind of, um, I was doing a program, uh, with college kids, uh, where I would talk to them about, I had horrible anxiety and learning disabilities and, I don't know about learning. Yeah, I I couldn't focus. I couldn't pay attention. Um, But I had to like put myself through college and it was a very unorthodox experience. I didn't have the college experience. I like worked full time, went to class at night, paid for it, lived off campus, drove in, commuted, had cars stall on the way to class, like all these different things. And I just wanted these I always had this notion that I would look at someone sitting next to me in class and be like, man, they just all have it so together. Like every, it seems so easy for everybody else. Why is it so hard for me? And then I would like talk to them and they're like, oh my God, man, I am struggling so much. And I'm like, dude, I thought you had it. So I would talk to college kids and just be like, listen, everyone is struggling. Like as alone as you feel, I promise you, you're not alone. And I think that I felt alone for so much and so long that I think it's extremely important, whether it's three friends at lunch or a, a theater of people, we're all in this together, you know, and during one of my bigger mushroom experiences I've had recently, I had this kind of light bulb moment of like, and I've said this on a couple podcasts, but like love and fear you know, the only two things that are real are love and fear. And if you are operating from fear, you're not open to the love that's around you. You'll look right through it. But if you're operating from love, fear doesn't stand a chance. Like it literally is like, there's a scene in in uh, the water boy. I don't know if you've seen that <laughs> yes. movie with uh, Adam Sandler and he, he visualize an attack and like coach Klein, like he's looking across the feel that the other coach that he's always been afraid of and he has like the head of a baby and all of a sudden he realizes like I don't have anything to be afraid of because he visualizes so if you're operating from love fear is like you kind of kind of like it's cute more than anything it's like I don't have to be scared of you you know so I've been trying very hard to like okay how do I take that because in the in my in that experience in that trip I literally was able to kind of like rapid fire like categorize the big things in my life into love or fear like am i is this coming from love is this coming from fear and, and then i knew what to work on so it was amazing i was like able to kind of like spring clean you know my, my soul i guess yeah. i don't know
1: i've had a lot of insights in this same area like these two topics have been highly relevant parts of my spiritual journey uh, my opening and growing as a person, understanding the relationship of polarity in our lives, in this world, and how those polarities relate to these concepts of love and fear. And a deep insight that came up for me recently, well, actually, while I was on a treadmill, was that when we're speaking out of, in, when we're in fear, it's our ego that is speaking. And when we are in love, and that's our state of resistance, right? That's a closing down, it's a pushing away, it's a tightening up and when we're in a state of receiving of acceptance of conducting of abundance then we're we're speaking from our soul body and we're speaking in love and these are two different elements of the self right one of them is eternal and one of them is finite and It is locked into this specific body, this journey called Jason right now. And Jason's ego thinks he needs to protect himself and close down and be and fight his way through it. And Jason's soul knows that he's immortal and doesn't die. You know, and and it's a huge piece. I want I want to throw one more word salad on the table for us to mix up a little bit, because it popped up while you were talking. And I think it's it's the mental health fallacy Right, it is a fallacy that the person next to you has good mental health, and that you have, you know, questionable mental health. And we all live in this, yeah. this this idea that everybody else's mental health is most likely better than mine, except for the homeless person. And the homeless person, their mental health sucks, you know. And we put ourselves in between this, yeah. this two places of like, if I go any worse, I'm on the street. If I get any better, I'm perfect, like you know, my role model of of mental health. And truly everybody's on the spectrum of just like continually changing and oscillating based on what we had for dinner or how well we're feeling because of an emotional experience or whatever the, you know, the last thing to kickstart our emotional
2: roller coaster has been. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting way to, I'd say that through the, the work, of you know the 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 process of the last year and a half, I think one of the things that I've taken from what you know my my experiences um, that I'm happy to get into. Yeah, please is, do. Uh,
0: and that's I I is, was wanting to go there next, honestly, Mike. So if it naturally okay, you want to yeah. go into telling us more how you got on your mental health healing journey, please please go there.
2: Sure, sure. Um, I I couldn't agree though, Jason. I couldn't agree more. I think that it's that thing of kind of like perception is reality and when you already have a critic in your head (laughs) I have found and I'm trying to work on material about this that like I almost enjoy being let down because it reinforces that like I shouldn't trust anyone like I almost like if you tell me you're going to be on time and you're late I'm like of course I'm not worth being on Mm. time for you know what I mean and it's just that pre-existing yeah, why would I ever trust another human to do what they say they're going to yep. do? Now, what's that? That's just that default. That's the record playing the same song over and over, you know? So to be able to kind of blow the dust off. Otiel and I were talking about it on our podcast about how, like, one of the ways to... I like to think about it is, like, if you look in a mirror that hasn't been dusted, the the dust has just the the, the you know all the little lint and dead skin and it, it blurs the reflection, you know? So when you finally like take some Windex and wipe it down, it's like, Oh, it's clear now, you know? And I could see what this really is. So every now and then we just need to dust off our, our lens, you know, or, and, and, and I think psychedelics kind of do that. But, um, so I've been doing psychedelics for, a long time, uh, but recreationally and carelessly, for most of my childhood. You know, not, not by childhood. I mean, like you know, seventeen through like my you know uh, maybe thirties, just going to concerts, taking drugs, and 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 all great stuff. But I mean, I drank alcohol with psychedelics, which I feel that's what I mean by careless. Yeah. It wasn't. Fasting, taking them in the morning for a purpose. With intention,
0: ceremonial context, none of that going on.
2: Right. I mean, you know, at concerts and, you know, I spent all my free time at fish concerts and music's a massive part of my life. And, you know, meet some mushrooms and go hiking and stuff, of course, but not ceremoniously, not uh, as a tool for mental health more just a tool for fun. Yeah, the spiritual yeah, journey with the
1: <laughs> like the, the musical experience or the deep nature experiences are are definitely a spiritual journey, but they don't have the same structure as like an eyes closed meditation where you're looking inward at at whatever part of ourselves we're wanting to bring up and and navigate or negotiate with. Sometimes that shit comes up for us in our recreational space whether we want it to or
2: not. Oh god, yeah. I mean, I had an amazing conversation with a friend of mine who recently went to uh, Alice Cooper, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, a, a comedian, a uh, hilarious guy, Big Jay Okerson, one of my best friends and brothers. Um, he took a, a mushroom chocolate at a, uh, Alice Cooper. And, uh, I forget who else the other band was. Um, it's, I'm sorry, it's escaping me, but he just had such a beautiful experience. Like it, it was just a, he was giggling and having a great time and having fun, profound thoughts and he was just like it was just the greatest he's like, I couldn't wait to tell you about it. And but yeah, it comes on like sometimes it's like, you know, it makes the lights a little bit more vivid and sometimes it, you know, gives us what we need, not what we want. You yeah. Know? So I love when that happens. Uh, Mike, but, I have
0: to jump in really quickly and just sure, do, a, please. do a quick nod to Alice Cooper dropping the milliwacke joke in Wayne's world. Like that is just <laughs> amazing yeah. piece of comedy yeah. in my opinion I just visited Milwaukee <laughs> which is why it's Milwaukee's it's new beautiful. in my in my life but but yeah. yeah tell us like how take us there to that initial part where you're like whoa I need I need healing you know what I sure. mean like sure it's clear yeah. to me that I need help and yeah Maybe this is the onset of psychedelics in this more healing context or whatever, but sure, um, sure. Yeah, tell us how that sort of transition happened for you, in case it will resonate with anyone as well.
2: Hundred um, percent. So, since I was about early twenties ish, I'd say I've always I've been t- trying antidepressants and anti anxiety meds from, you know, zo- uh Paxil and Wellbutrin and Lexapro and uh, Ritalin and mood stabilizers and all these different things, Uh, Xanax for anxiety, all of that. And all it really did was mute or dull the edges. Things weren't so sharp, Um, but horrible side effects, horrible, horrible side effects. And it made everything a lot worse, in a lot of ways, and uh, some of them I just couldn't tolerate at all physically. So I've always been on this quest to kind of, like, not be so hard on myself and, and again, not operate from fear. And I knew psychedelics, and I knew, med- I, you know, my wife bought me transcendental meditation as, like, a gift, probably to her, not me, but <laughs> as a gift, And and I practiced that, and I knew... Like I said, I've always knew there's more, you know, somewhere. Um, Now, doing stand-up, it's a lonely gig. It's a tough gig. It's a lot of criticism. How come I didn't get that? Am I not good enough? Am I this? Am I that? Perfect buffet of anxiety for the critic, you know? And uh, so you're always running from it. You're always kind of trying to get away from it. And as long as you stay busy and the calendar stays full, you don't have to think about your stuff. So welcome the pandemic. And it kind of felt to me like emotionally and everything. It was like a car chase my whole life. And then I have to sit alone in fear. And it was like a 10 car pile up. And now I have to sit with the wreckage and assess the damage and sift through the, you know, nuts and bolts. And it was a a lot to deal with and no work, no promise of work, no who knows if we're ever going to do stand-up right. again, right? So that was hard for everyone. So there was a collective anxiety, which actually made me feel better. Now, spring of 21, uh, when everything starts to kind of open up again and things are starting to happen, um, my anxiety doesn't go away. And it's starting to get worse and worse. Now I'll back up for a moment and say that, uh, in the fall of 2020 and the winter of 2020, I did two very important, uh, psilocybin, uh, journeys or, you know, with one incredible woman who sat with me and I went in with intention and, uh, I went in with the thought of, you know, I kind of had this analogy of a river where everything it was there were there were old tires and old leaves and you know the water was rising and kind of flooding the banks and I wanted to just have a clear river I wanted to get rid of all the junk you know and uh, I had two unbelievably important uh, experiences on those two trips and uh, cleared out a lot of stuff and had really beautiful I mean just in incredibly amazing experiences. Here's one I have never told anybody. So, um, in an earlier relationship, I, w- I, I thought I was going to be, um, a father and it turned out not being didn't, didn't happen. And, uh, it always bothered me. And during the, uh, experience, I kind of had a moment with, a an angel of some sort, maybe, uh, and it, and that, that, guy let me know like i'm over here on this side and i don't blame you and and you know i'm kind of watching you from this end and you know uh it was more detailed than that but i'm trying to not you know get emotional but anyway it was one of the most important experiences i've ever had in my life and i didn't even know that that was going to happen and uh it was Just beautiful. Can I uh,
1: pause for the right there just for a second? Because you just said one of the key phrases that comes back from the psilocybin trip reports. um, One of the most important experiences of my life. This is 95% of people who engage in psilocybin in a ceremonial or therapeutic setting. And the context that you just shared with us so beautifully, and thank you for doing that, is... I spoke with an angel who assured me that everything's good from the other side. And this allowed me to feel peace and one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And so I'm going to say, I'm okay with allowing a little emotion in the room when that's the kind of experience that we're having. Okay. I'm okay I'm with a little it. emotion here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm I'm well, feeling and, and, it too, because it's which, like, me too. You can well, you feel your, the truth. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Mike.
1: Thank you for listening. If you're receiving value from this episode, we would love it if you would show your support for the show by subscribing on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Instagram. You can click the like button, leave us a comment, or share the podcast with somebody directly.
0: Every month we host integration coaching circles. These are safely held spaces for those looking to heal, grow, and connect in community. They are beautiful, alive, so much good work is happening, you are invited to join us. Go to trustthejourney.today integration. You can join the Trust the Journey family, which includes these integration coaching circles and our private Facebook group where we connect and support each other. Sign up by going to our website, trustthejourney.today, obviously, and <laughs> click on the orange Patreon button.
1: Yeah, it's your support and engagement that make the show possible. We love connecting with you. So feel free to DM us anytime on Instagram with your thoughts at trustthejourney.today. And now I'm back to our regularly scheduled programming.
2: Yeah. Well, I, pre- yeah, thank you for letting me. And I think, if, you know, obviously I want to practice what I preach here. If I'm going to be vulnerable, why not? Yeah. But also, like, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know if guys have uh, the faculties sometimes to have an opinion or a discussion or something about that whole child. Uh, I don't know. Uh, It was a decision that was kind of like out of my hands, and I'm okay with that, and I support it, and I'm just kind of like, you know, but I was still kind of like that would have been cool, you know? And uh, it always kind of was a thing. It was always kind of like a dent, you know, and I was able to kind of like just, I don't know, I'm at peace with it, which is unbelievable. So, Is that one was, of again, your the, dented the cans? Where, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, that's, that's it. So, um, but hey, maybe that's like, you know, I guess my whole thought process is like, I guess if there's one guy, That hears this. Anyone. It doesn't have to be a man, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. If someone hears this and goes like, oh, cool. I'm not the only one that's had to deal with something like that, then all right, great. Mission accomplished. Like, we go through the stuff we go through to help each other, uh, I guess, through that stuff, right? So, Yeah. um, And
0: allowing just like you being willing to take up space with that story with that feeling as a man gives other men permission to be like if they're if they have you up here in any way if they're looking at you and and respecting you or admiring you that's a huge reason why i i'm so i i feel like this is so important and why men telling stories and i say this specifically as a woman who is it's quite easy for me to share. I've obviously practiced this. I've worked on being a voice in public spaces and just in my own personal relationships for a long, long time. It's not at all been easy for me either. But I say it from the perspective of like, you're, it seems to me that men definitely don't have, they need more examples like that. So that's why I'm like, heck yeah, that's that sharing. I can't imagine that won't resonate with with other people out there.
2: They, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think also, and I've been having a lot of conversations with uh, dads that are friends of mine. And I think that this <laughs> notion that, um, you know, if as long as I do a little bit better than the last generation did, then I'm a good dad. You know what I mean? That's that <laughs> right. thing of kind of like, as long as I can, you know, I had it worse and <laughs> I'm at least, you know, here and so on. Uphill both and ways. I think that, right. That kind of thing. <laughs> but I, I, I've noticed that like a lot of my friends, like when they talk to me about certain stuff, they go, I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope I'm doing this. And I'm like, already you're doing a good job if you hope you're doing a good job. Right. And then they go, I get down to that level and I'm saying like, buddy, I don't know. And I'm like, am I supposed to say I don't know to my kid? And I'm like, God, dude, totally. Like you're showing them it's our right to not know everything. You know what I mean? Like that whole because I said so and do as I say not, you know, that whole thing. It's like we got to throw that out the window. Yeah. You know, but um, so, so. that was the beginning <laughs> of the journey. Right. And then I did another trip that was not so great. I never really achieved liftoff and I had a pretty death uh, centric trip and not that I thought I was going to die I just wasn't having a good time I was trying to control the experience yeah. and I started to think about an uncle I had lost I, th- I, I started to think about how many people are not with us anymore and all that and I was talking to the same uh, woman I was working with and I was like I'm not having a good time right now. And she's like, but I'm here with you and I see you and you're okay. So we're going to get through it together. And, and, uh, it was rough. It was really rough. And, uh, but we talked through it and having someone that you can work with and trust is really just the most important thing in the world. So kudos to both of you for what you do. And and I really, it's so important. And, uh, so, Fast forward a little bit to that was the winter of 2020 spring of 2021. Um, the anxiety and the depression and the panic all kind of hit me extremely hard because the world started to open up and life kind of started to come back. And I was going through stuff that, you know, um, I don't know how to put it, but it was like almost like I had to dig up a bunch of old stuff. And then kind of just got left with it, like, sitting on my lap. And I had to kind of reassess and relive a lifetime of stuff. And and, and it really got heavy. And I started to have, um, this is when the actual, my mental health was the worst it's ever been in my entire life. Wow, I was very scared. I would wake up at, like, 3 in the morning, literally with my hands in a grip on the mattress uh, cold sweats Um, I would go automatically to worst case scenario with like every thought if my phone rang and it was my friend I wasn't excited that he was calling I was like oh my god what happened what did I do Uh, what you know and I would just let it go to voicemail I would get invited to things and I was like no man I can't like I'm you know just horrible horrible panic going out to ice cream with my wife was like a challenge. I didn't want to get out of the car. I, I, it it was a mess. And I turned to her and, and she's a mental health, she's not mental health. She's in healthcare. And, uh, and my sister and I, and my siblings, actually all of them. And I kind of told them like, I'm not in a good place right now. And I considered like looking into like going somewhere. Like I didn't know what to do. Um, and I made an appointment with a um, psychiatrist that it, it treatment-resistant depression was like what I looked through. I was looking at TMS. Okay. I was looking at, you know, a- anything I possibly could. Um, I went, I made an appointment with her. And the night before, I made a, I wrote out a list. You know, every time you go to therapy, they go, tell me about <laughs> yourself. Right. So I made this, and I apologize if I'm repeating something from another podcast or anything but like I made a list of all of the things that I'd gone through and was feeling and going through and like I'm sobbing and and it's just and I made a copy for her and a copy for me and I went in and I handed it to her and my goal what I wrote down said I just want to feel okay like all I wanted was just to be okay I didn't want to feel amazing I didn't want to feel the, the the strongest man on earth. I just wanted to feel okay. I just wanted to like get above water because I was drowning. Yeah. I was exhausted. I was literally mentally and physically just drained. I couldn't eat. I, I I would have like maybe two sips of coffee in the morning and and some water and I would barely eat or touch my food. I felt so sick. And uh, I went to this doctor and I handed her this paper and I handed her the timeline of my life kind of and she's like well we got ptsd we got to work on we've got some you know treatment resistant depression because i listed all the medications and i hand her this paper and she's like uh how would you feel about trying ketamine for um your depression and i and i you know she brought, brought me through the entire process of you know showing me the the room where i would get the iv put in and the You know, room where I would do the treatment, and how they would watch, and how they would regiment it, and uh, she also recommended a cognitive behavioral therapist to speak with in Um,
0: conjunction with the ketamine. uh, In conjunction with the ketamine, yeah, good, good.
2: And she also uh, recommended uh, an antidepressant, Zoloft, at a low dose, um, which I resisted as long as I possibly Mm -hmm. could. which I'll get into in a moment, but I went home and I talked to my wife and she said, I think this is a good idea. Um, it's very safe. It's, it's used regularly. And, you know, um, I I went for an EKG and I went for blood work and I went for, you know, everything kind of dotted all the I's and crossed the T's. And I went in so, uh, timid and hopeful and, pleases and I'm sorry's and thank you's and like shaking you know never had such physical manifestations of my depression before and um the minute the needle hit my hand I passed out cold that- and I hit the ground no ketamine I'm laughing Just only because I
0: know that this is like this happens but yeah go ahead keep going
2: I I passed out uh I've passed out a lot with needles <laughs> so and stuff. So have I. And what I've noticed- So have I. It's the vasovagal. Are you familiar with this thing where it's like your blood pressure spikes oh, yeah. and then drops? yeah. Yeah. So like, even if you're looking at the bottom shelf of paint and you get up too fast and you get that kind of yeah. static yeah. TVs around your head, yeah, like yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole thing, I get that. So the needle hit my hand and it was kind of funny because in this room, there's nine beautiful leather recliners, right? That, that you could sit in and you know, that's where you would have your ketamine experience. And then in one back room, there's a hospital bed. <laughs> and that was my room because they didn't want me sitting in the chair because you know, so I, I had to get my, uh, my IV administered at the bedside and I'm like, guys, can I please go to the chair? And they're like, no. Nope. So it was, became a little joke, but um, I finally, you know, they brought me over and we did it and I I had, you know, uh, a tranquil music on, kind of just like classical or acoustic guitar. And essentially the way it works for someone who's not privy is you have a pulse oximeter on your hand, you have a blood pressure monitor on your arm, and you have the IV. And it's a 90-minute experience. The first 45 minutes is the ketamine uh, administration, and then they, I think, shut it off and another 45 of let's say like saline or something um and then they once your blood pressure is finally like at a level that they're happy with um because sometimes your blood pressure blood pressure will drop um you're free to go and you can't drive so you had you know uber home or whatever and that was funny too because in the beginning the uber driver is like how are you today and I'm like don't talk to me I don't want to talk you know whatever and then on the ride home I'm like hanging out the window like I love everybody man that's this is great so even that was a sign that things were working. But um, immediate, immediate, like immediate, gentle, lucid, disassociative, psychedelic feeling of just like a, a breath of relief and weight lifting off and a lightness that I really can't put in any other way of just feeling like I was literally like like rising ascending um a lot of that feeling of kind of like floating to the top of the room or uh experiencing these sort of lucid dreams where i was there as an observer and i was there as the let's say first person or the character and i'm able to see myself uh maybe experiencing situations that would give me fight or flight or anxiety or panic, but that, uh, that was shut off. Mm. So I didn't have the ability to flee or have fear. I just had to watch me go through these experiences. One in particular, that's very vivid was I was approaching a waterfall of sand and I thought that if I crashed into it, I was going to die. And, But I couldn't stop myself, so I just had to take the ride. And I went right through the sand to the other side, and then I was in a whole other realm, whole whole other reality. And I had the wherewithal to go like, ah, I didn't die, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. And then it was on to the next thing, you know? I'm claustrophobic in nature, so I had experiences where I felt like I was almost like not in a coffin, but like laying in a thing where, you know, everything was very close to me and a train rolling over me or whatever. And I just felt I, I lived. Yeah. So it, it, my, I think it freed up the speed bumps that I would put in front of me <laughs> and it let me just go on these adventures that maybe before in life I would just kind of shy away from cause I was scared, you know? And uh, I, I would have very beautiful experiences, very confusing experiences. Uh, I, I, I sometimes feel more like it was almost like I had sort of nitrous oxide at the dentist type feelings on the ketamine where you can almost like see music and, and uh, hear smells yeah. and, and that kind of like sensory change thing more than a mushroom psychedelic is what I mean. Like if I had to explain it to someone who's never done it before, I kind of feel like it was that, but it was incredibly gentle. It It wasn't at all terrifying. It wasn't at all overwhelming or like rocket ship takeoff, like a DMT thing. Or, um, I always felt, uh, okay. I maybe had two or three times total where, My lips started to kind of tingle and my nose and my my sinus area and my felt like it was swelling up. And uh, I kind of needed to sort of like give them a wave and be like, I'm feeling, you know, something. And I don't know if they turned it down or what, but it fixed itself. And I got everything was great. And uh, the people who I were with, uh, extremely professional, extremely like, you know, made me feel safe. And, um, but the, the, the the trip, the, the experiences themselves were if anybody meditates or has lucid dreams or any astral type of, you know, projection or anything like that, it felt a lot like that. And it felt like, um, a meditation I had one time where I remember I was looking at something in the sky that was so big, my two eyes couldn't see it. But when I looked with another I I could see it. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I had a lot of that. I had a real lot of that. And the moral of most of the experiences where I got to a, two different points, almost two different checkpoints in the ketamine trips that I had. And one was that like it doesn't matter. Like I would see a thing that I thought was life or death. And I'd go, oh, like almost like I was looking at it like, you know, instead of looking through the glass, I was looking into the tank and I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter. Like, and it was just like like a friendly, like, oh. And then the other thing I would have a realization with on most of them was like, if it all ends now, like if I, if I just keep going and end up in the the next existence, if I die, like it's okay. Like I'm totally okay with dying right now. And what's hilarious is one of the times I had that moment, the building, the security system tripped, and all of a sudden, eh, 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 like red and lights the and, best. and oh all my, this stuffs going on. Nothing, nothing like and a, a like, real life emergency. No, 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 yeah. I didn't mean it, dude. Like I, I got more to do. Like stop. Oh, stop. oh my god. <laughs> so I'm kind of like in the in the depths of ketamine. And this is going off and I open my eyes and it's very like, you know, and I look at the window and there's doctors and masks like waving and it's like, and I'm like, I'm just going to lay here. Like I had no, what am I going to do? Get up and run. So I'm just like, I'm just going to lay here and they, you know, it all worked out. And, and it's so hilarious. Like I just always have to have those silly errors. You know, one time I tried to like, the song was so beautiful that I was listening to. I tried to hit like listen again and I ended up putting on like at, like NPR news and it's like, you know, all this horrible news. And I'm like, no, no. And I just threw my headphones across the room. And so there's always funky stuff like that. But what I would do is schedule my cognitive behavioral therapy sessions immediately after Um. Smart. One thing I didn't really love about the way that I was doing well, let me back up. The first four weeks, you do two sessions a week. So Monday and Thursday, I would do sessions. So by the end of like the first month, I've already had like eight or ten sessions. You take a GAD seven test was it with generalized anxiety disorder yep. test that's like, you know, I, I I feel I'd be better off, like the world would be better off without me. Uh never seldom sometimes always you know things Mm -hmm. like that um it's lots of questions like that and that score plus your weight would determine i think your dosage so um i would go to this therapist in the beginning of my i was i was really convinced that like i wasn't coming back like i was in such anxiety i thought like this is me now like i've broke my brain i i overdid it with drugs or I've, you know, this or that, like I smoke pot and it's, I'm in there now. Like I really thought it was over. And, uh, through the cognitive behavioral therapy and through the ketamine, I learned tools and trust together where I could trust that my thoughts aren't real and, 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 you know, cognitive behavioral therapy will teach you okay, I'm scared of X. And then you learn like on a scale of one to a hundred, what are the odds that this is real? And what evidence supports that this is real? Is there evidence that supports that it's not real? And if this does happen, what's the worst case scenario? If what you're thinking is true, will you die? Will you go to jail? Will you this, will you that? And, and, and She made me do homework like I had to come in with these filled out. And that's a big just to
0: jump in real quick, because that's a big thing about this conversation and psychedelics for sure. But any kind of healing and any kind of healing modality is the inspiration is really nothing without the action to back it up. Like if we're not taking what we get from our ketamine series or our ayahuasca three day or our whatever, or our, our retreat where we talk about a cool things and we get inspired. So what would you say about that? Like what did integration after this stuff look like for you? Because I think that's a huge important part that we don't want to be promoting, just go and do a ketamine series and boop, you're fixed. No. It's all good. Yeah. What comes after?
2: Well, thank yeah. Or what uh, com- came 100%. after for
0: you, I guess, is the more of the well, question.
2: And I'll even go back to the mushroom experiences because that was instant integration. Yeah. That was immediate. And I wanted that with the ketamine, but it wasn't available at this facility. Mm. So after, uh, you know, as a whole other sidebar, I've kind of been like looking for a more integrative ketamine opportunity meaning what, so that's me, where I'm, what do you mean was right, like the
0: cognitive behavioral therapy was right after or what what do you mean was it what was what immediate I'm looking, after
2: well oh, I would have liked someone in the room with me okay. when I was doing the ketamine
0: okay and that's
2: what I'd like moving forward Got because it. I think now I'm I mean now I've done it at least 30 or so times that I know what I'm I I, I don't know you you know the 10,000 hours thing is true with psychedelics. Yeah. So I think you kind of become more of an expert on, you know, all right, right now I think I might be able to kind of materialize a thought and I wish someone was here to hear it, you know, instead right, of right. afterwards yeah. trying to remember it. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah that's very that. important. But what I did- It's a challenging scheduled... thing, right?
1: When you're in the experience- I'm sorry, go ahead. When you're, yeah, when you're in the experience of a- psychedelic journey of any kind departing from the internal dialogue and going to an external dialogue and trying to communicate and return it back and forth can completely derail the, you know, where that train would have gone if we allow ourselves to, to stay in it. And, you know, I can think about one of my own experiences where I gained ultimate clarity that I was looking for. And I really just needed to stay the course internally to follow through to fruition the, the, you know, the intention that I had set for myself for that journey. And then, yeah, I, I had that, that was a magic pill moment where I came out of the other side with the answer in my hand, but then it's been five years and I am still living the life of integrating that new version of me who has the answer going, how do I live as a person who now knows this is the way I want to be, or this is the version of me who I want to, that I want to continue working on being, but now I've got to take that forward and make it part of my
2: daily practice. A hundred percent. It's a very challenging thing when you're in that moment. And, you know, even to bring in one of the tools that I used during stand-up, I put my phone on the stool and record all my sets. So if something comes out in the middle of a set and I'm like, ooh, there's a thought, I can go back and listen to it, right? So I even asked, the doctor I was working with, I'm like, can I have like a camp? Like, can I just let a camera run in here? Can I just put something, you know, and I needed my phone to play music. So I was like, and, and, and another, to your point, Jason, earth time doesn't matter. Right. Right. When we're in the psychedelic space, the earth clock doesn't matter. So if I'm saying something, um, slowly, if I go, you know, love, love, And fear that might be the only thing I need to trigger a revelation I had. So if someone is, is, is at least in there to write that down and go, let's talk about love and fear when I'm done, you know, or when I'm in that second 45 minutes, that is a pivotal open, you know, soft baby head kind of moment where like, you know, you can get in there and move some stuff around so I think just integration is like, there's the marathon of integration and then there's the sprint of integration. So I I think that it's important to have the sprint because that's how we train for the marathon, you know? Love that distinction. Um, I, I, I think it's important to yeah, have agreed. someone to talk to immediately, mm-hmm. immediately. And, uh, I'm um, yeah, like I, I've came up with some good. Ideas for jokes on the ketamine, too. And I lost those in the ether. But I had a couple that I got through, you know. So it was a good creative time as (laughs) well.
0: Well, my... Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead if you have...
2: No, no, no. One ahead. of the
0: things that this is sort of a slight shift, and we're sort of coming toward the end. But um,
2: oh, I'm sorry if I'm no. Going too oh, long. no,
0: no, goodness, no. That's well, what we're here for. We have plenty yeah. of time. We've we have plenty of time. It's more yeah. that we don't want to keep you forever.
2: No, I'm cool to keep yeah. going. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I think it's important to talk about. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to to put a quick uh, you know, end on yeah, that other please. thing. I just want to say that you know, because I don't want to leave it like a cliffhanger or anything, but little by little i really started to just feel that fear that was so debilitating and crippling and that instant anxiety just started to dissipate okay so to give a quick kind of comparison you know we have it's like lane assist on a car and if you're in the if you're in the side the lines that's kind of like rational thought right and then you can become overly optimistic or overly pessimistic, kind of fast lane, slow lane. And I didn't have lane assist. I would get into the breakdown lane and just kind of pull over and have a panic attack and think that my car was broken and the trip's over and whatever. After the ketamine and then therapy, lane assist started to work, where I would drift into the other lane and it would go beep, 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 and kind of I would go back to normal, you know? Yep. We lost Jason, I think. Yeah, he'll um, jump back in, I'm sure. Okay. So anyway, I, that helped quite a bit and I just started to little by little feel better and I felt okay. Like I asked them to make me and uh you know, so so I really just wanna point and and it's long lasting. And I haven't done Oh, and and, and to, to tie up also, like I, I did incorporate like a very small uh Amount of uh, Zoloft yeah. into the mix because it, it, a lot of of OCD kind of came into you know the 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 play or whatever. And the thing that I like about ketamine in particular is that you can do it in conjunction with your you know uh, SSRI yeah, medication yeah. because it works on a different part of the brain. So it actually, I think you you know. Some people have theories that, you know, Zoloft is killing your brain and ketamine's doing, making more and it's a contrasting thing. All I could say is, for me, again, not for anybody else, but it's been a really uh, excellent experience and um, the goal is to get off of that. Yeah. And it's just a teeny tiny baby dose, but it just kind of helps with the obsessive compulsive part of things so um i feel better than i ever have i look back at that person who was going through that intense panic and depression and self-doubt and criticism and i i literally feel like it was another lifetime i feel like it it it, i know it was me but i don't recognize who that was or or what And, and and that's I mean, it's it's life changing. It's literally life changing, and I can't give more thanks and credit to the cognitive behavioral therapist and the doctor that administered the ketamine. And you know, without them, and my wife and my family, and you know, I I honestly don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I I don't know how much more fight I had in me. Um, And now I'm like. I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling lighter and happier than I, 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 ever have in my entire life. So
1: Matt, Mike, thank you so much for sharing that valuable, valuable insight. And I'm so happy to hear that you're on that side of the lane, because I think we can all identify with exactly that scenario that you described of like, my lane assist is not working and I'm headed for the shoulder Never mind the shoulder, yeah. I'm headed for yeah. the ditch. Yeah you know we all we've all been there so really grateful for this this vulnerable humble share and especially speaking as another man to man thank you for being willing to be vulnerable in those areas because this toxic masculine stereotype that we've been impressed upon us that we are supposed to be invulnerable that we're supposed to be stoic strong silent and not express emotion pain fear anything like that is a bunch of bullshit it's got to go that's gone with our grandfathers sorry bye-bye and it takes voices like your own to step up and to um charge forward fearlessly yeah no full of fear charge forward full of fear towards being our honest true real yeah. selves thank you so much man yeah. and same to you. Yeah. you
2: you guys are both doing it's awesome to have these experiences and you know i was able to go speak at the uh at the Colorado, at PS twenty twenty three. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, we were at there. The we were there. In yeah. yeah, we were there. Yeah, yeah and
2: I did yeah. a a dent. It was called Dented Cans awesome. and I basically told this exact, well, not exact, but just went up kind of, and and opened up and talked about it. And it was uh, really awesome to have people come up after and just you know, uh, be happy that they they heard it. And I guess to me, that's really all that matters now. And and uh, I'm gonna continue talking about it and it's interesting to you know from that the perspective about men I always loved Jack Kerouac and I always loved Ken Kesey and uh you know for like two writers right now there, those are two dudes that like went to college for sports like Kesey was a wrestler Kerouac went on a on a full ride to Columbia to play football these were dudes that drank and did drugs and you know loved women and 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 you know red-blooded men but also were able to you know cry on the page yeah. and 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 let it out and, and and be in touch with both uh you know sides of themselves or whatever and uh, now I think I understand why I like them so much because I knew that they, they were the ones that kind of were like, no, that's okay. It's possible to be, you know,
0: to be all of uh, those
2: things vulnerable and all those things. Yeah. It's okay to like football and, you know, cry at a,
1: be a pope, yeah. poet. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I think that we're, you know, this generation is, is starting to understand that. And, uh, and I really think it's, it's, it's great. I mean, we need that vulnerability and we need to be able to kind of, uh, have difficult conversations, sitting around a table where maybe, you know, a little, you know, other conversations were had years and years ago. Yeah. So,
0: and Mike, that's yeah. that's what I want to acknowledge you for myself. I was listening to, I think it was your interview with Liz Glazer, uh, where you shared about, and maybe it wasn't, maybe it's was a different episode, but regardless, you shared. About yeah. how you were opening for one of your mentors, right? And you were worried about doing the new stuff and fucking up on his watch, right? And like yeah. bombing in front of his crowd and making, you know, like, and once you were like, man, can I, you know, he, and he, he gave you that permission to like go out there and just fucking bomb if that's what, what it was going to take to do your new stuff. And so I fully acknowledge you for that yes in comedy and life and that creative part of your career. But that, I feel like, also is very, very much represented in your willingness to step into your mental health, your healing journey, your work with psychedelics. Who the hell knows what we get from those journeys? Like you said in your story, your beautiful share about that, you know, with psilocybin, how... You would never have predicted that as something that would have been necessary and needed for you. And so that that practice of surrender and and we're talking about vulnerability, but man, vulnerability, right? Like that's real stuff. And so I really acknowledge you for that and and for being a leader in that version of of being. So thank you. Yeah, man. And, and Thank you. honestly, we could talk forever. And if there's more, like, what did we not talk about that you really want to make sure <laughs> you say before we go and, and where um, and how can people connect with you and find you, support you, all of those things?
2: Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right. I will say that one of the things that I'm saying now on stage that's new is about the ketamine experience and it's getting the best response. And I'm not going to say it here. Now <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to wait till the next special I like it. or come see me tease, live. Tease. And I'm my dates it. are at Mike Fennoya.com and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll do all that in yep. a minute. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What I have found to be the biggest struggle now, because Kesey once said uh, nothing, you, you pay for everything. Nothing comes for free. Right. So, I have a lot of trouble now tolerating people who aren't willing to do the work. That's hard. That's very hard. And and it's a thing where it's kind of like, you know, when you tune into a certain frequency, it's hard to untune or yes. detune. And your, uh, your bullshit filter becomes extremely uh, vigilant. And... I understand, and I want to say, too, that, like, you know, this year plus of work was long and painful and scary, and, you know, there were times where I kind of, like, would look back and I'm like, is there an end or beginning anymore to this tunnel? Like, I had to get to the very deep bottom of myself and uh, stay down there until... I could you know find the other end so it's not easy work and I think the work scares people and I'm trying to become more uh, uh, accepting or maybe more um, sympathetic to the folks that maybe aren't ready to do it or maybe will never be ready to do it maybe it's just too terrifying Um, but that's a challenge now and I think that might be the double-edged butter knife <laughs> of, uh, doing psychedelic work is that, uh, you go to a new place and you're now set up on a different soil and you kind of look at the other soil and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to put my feet in that sand ever again, right. you know, and it, and it's a different world now and, uh, there's no going back and, and that's important to realize. So, um, And in this world of, you know, two different versions of the truth and hatred and, you know, Wilco has this uh, song and one of the lyrics is there's no middle when the other side would rather kill than compromise. And I really that line sticks out to me quite a bit because it's like, boy, is that not our world today? Like rather kill than compromise. So. We have to realize that, you know, not everyone is doing this work or not everyone is seeking a happiness. They're just accepting whatever they're being handed as, you know, that's it. So what I'm trying to work on now is how to practice that, like just being forgiving of, you know, not jumping to conclusions, not, you know. If my anxiety thing goes off, just all right, maybe I step away from this situation and put time in between, you know, them and my reactions and, you know, but that's a difficult thing. I I, I think that's really and I don't mean just for me, I think probably for anybody that's involved in psychedelics, like that's something that maybe needs to be a conversation because a lot of people aren't doing the work. I'm glad more are. But, you know. That should be a a, a a a doctorate for some therapist right. to figure out is like how to be okay with folks that are okay not being okay. Yeah,
0: exactly. And
2: uh, that's tough. Oof, so totally,
0: man. Well,
1: Ramdas has a great quote on that, and it's um, perfect. Perfect.
0: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I guess
2: I haven't reached that level. Yet, but uh, I
0: have, I have all. I too have not reached that level.
2: Yeah, yeah. oh my but god, but he's, he's the he's the Perfect. man. Oh my um,
0: god, Mike, I can't let this interview end without at least telling you that. I did stand-up comedy once. I did a stand-up class in Burlington, Vermont, and I- Oh, where? If they're not yes, comedy club? Yes, totally.
2: Nathan and yes. Natalie. I love them to they're death. So they're very good great. friends of mine. Oh,
0: I love that. Yes. I was- Yeah, uh, shout out to that club. Yeah, they're the they, best. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I I have so much respect for stand-up comedians after- I mean, I had so much respect for comedians in general, but- Why I bring this up is like, I was 100% atrocious in the best, most wonderful way. You think, okay, I'm a pro skydiver. The scariest thing I ever did was walk out onto that stage. I'm not joking. My knees were literally like knocking. Literally.
2: That blows my mind. Oh my God. blows my mind. Can I go skydiving with you sometime? Yes, please do. Because uh, I, I yes. want to do it before. My wife and I have said that's something that we really want to do. And you want to know it's very weird. And I've been meaning. I didn't know when to. When I was going through the worst of my depression, I threw out to my wife, let's go skydiving. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, two reasons. One's kind of like dark, but I'm like, hey, if, we, hey, if, the, you know, if it doesn't work out, what <laughs> other way to go? Yeah but uh,
1: that was my (laughs) life too but
2: also I'm like I wanted to scare the hell out of myself to know that life was worth yeah living yeah and, oh, uh, yeah. and 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 I thought jumping out of a plane would be the Let's best thing to do. Let's
0: talk about it. I mean, because I live in the yeah. New York area myself too, so we're close. But, oh, so, great! So we can we can figure this out if you're calling toward it as medicine continues. <laughs> definitely, we'll figure it out if we
2: can. Maybe we should do it in in Vermont. <laughs> that would for, be amazing. To full circle. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's wonderful. You guys are so great. <laughs> and I, I, if anybody's interested, they can. Um. My YouTube channel is just at, everything is just at Mike Fanoia, F-I-N-O-I-A. My podcast with otiel Burbridge is called Comes a Time Podcast. Uh, if you don't know him, he's 17-year bassist for the Allman Brothers, um, now going on 10 years playing with the Grateful Dead members and all their iterations, and um, we've had amazing guests. I mean, yeah. and it's just, we have, like, I think, you know, close to 200 episodes amazing just wild and uh my other podcast is dented cans where i you know talk to other comics about their dents and stuff and uh mikefanoia.com for my dates and my specials out there and uh clips and so on and so forth so i'm on the road all year come say hi and you know come see a show and uh this is definitely uh you know a world that i'm Excited to be in talking with you guys. And I think that, you know, anybody who's like hip to it or interested in it or involved in it, or I think we all need to be doing more together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So anytime you guys want to chat or anytime online, offline, whatever, yeah. like, let's do it. Thank you so much, Mike. And let let, let me just again, respect
1: to the truth tellers, to those of you who do step up on stage and share your versions of what is going on here in the world with fearless vulnerability. So thank you and respect and um, I'm on the journey there with you. We're definitely doing this together. And I'm definitely coming to
0: one of your shows in the city.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Anytime. Literally, let me know anytime you want.
0: Mike, you're awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone, seriously, for listening, for spending your valuable, valuable time, energy, and heart with us. Every bit of it makes a difference.
1: Yeah, thank you. We would love it if you could show your support for the show by subscribing on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Instagram. You can always click the like button, leave us a comment, or share an episode with somebody directly.
0: Like we mentioned, every month we host Integration Coaching Circles. So, so much good work is happening there. You are invited to join us go to trustthejourney.today/integration. The Trust the Journey family includes these integration coaching circles and our private Facebook group where we connect and support each other. Join us by going to our website trustthejourney.today and click the orange Patreon button.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's your support and engagement that make the show possible. Thank you. We're here to connect with you. Feel free to DM us anytime on Instagram. We're at trustthejourney.today. Thank you. We love you.
0: (laughs) We love you.
1: Keep laughing, keep loving, and keep trusting the journey.